Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you today. Um, I hope this isn't a shock for many of you, but it's my, my last time to stand before you, at least while I'm getting paid by the word. So uh, I hope you're all comfortable because... I was going to say, I hope you're all comfortable because I have to fund my retirement now in all the words I say today. Um, I'll have to take it back. Or maybe that was encouragement for me to do so. I will, I will take it as such. Um, I also feel a, a little bit of a, um, you know, that cows are going to get a bad rap after I leave. That cats are going to take over. But uh, so in the spirit of the moment uh, and based on what I just said. Um, this is my last kick of the cat. <laughs> okay, time is running out on me. Time is running out, period. Now, for some of you, that might have taken to a place of, of thinking about the fact that uh, we just lost summer, we just transitioned slid into fall, of course, which in Manitoba means we're only a month away from winter. Some of us might have gone to thinking about the prophecies and the signs of the end times. The Bible speaks that, you know, signs and wonders will appear, and there's, we're seeing those evidence of those kinds of things, the, the things that are happening in the world is kind of multiplying before our eyes. Still, others of you might for a moment have thought I was speaking about the fact that this is my last Sunday with you all, at least as one of the pastors, but let's not go there. I don't want to spend time there, and uh, um, we're just going to press on past that. So for a moment here, and in the spirit again of this, and in community building, I want you to just kind of stand up if you need to, reach someone next to you, uh, say hello, and say, Lauren who? <laughs> Lauren who? We're moving on, right? Moving on. Some of you had way too much fun and glee with that. The time is running out, and the time is running out in what I want to talk about to you today. And I somewhat facetiously uh, was talking to some of the staff, and I said, you know, this is what every pastor dreams of. Everything I ever wanted to say to the congregation, but I was afraid I wouldn't be there next week, right? So, so prepare yourselves. Uh, this is it. I have a question I want to ask you. And I want to ask it without any sense of morbidity with it, okay? How long have you lived? How long have you truly lived? How much time do you have left? The point is, as I get older, I feel somewhat in a position of authority on this as the old guy on staff. Whatever you're going to do with your life, you better get on with it because time is running out. The other side is, 
if you're not doing something worthy with your life at the moment, it really doesn't matter how many days you've got left because you're not using them. So what are you going to do with the seasons before you, the school year before you, more pointedly even narrowing it down, the ministry year before you? How will this year be any different for you than all the rest? A number of years ago now, along with a few other pastors from around the city, and I mentioned another illustration from this when I spoke a month or so ago, I had an opportunity to have lunch with the well-known Christian author, teacher, speaker, Tony Campolo. No sooner were we seated than Tony stood up and looked around the large table at us, and there was a number of pastors from Winnipeg, an area that had been asked to come. He posed a question to you, the question I just asked of you. How long have you lived? How long have you lived? Being all of us extremely confident pastors, not a single person answered. So Tony stared at one young man across the table, happened to be next to me, and again he asked, like staring right at, them, at him, how long have you lived? The pastor instinctively responded, I, 28 years. Tony shot, back, Tony shot back, no, no, I didn't ask how long you've existed as a breathing, functioning member of the human race. I wanted to know how long you have been truly alive. Then Tony told the story of how he went to the top of the Empire State Building at the age of 12. He described the heightened awareness of the experience and said, I do not know how long I will live, but if I were to live a million years, I would remember that moment when I truly lived. I truly lived it. The truth is that many people are born and years later die without ever really having tasted life as it was meant to be. There are countless folks who never reflect with any awareness or any intensity on any part of their lives. Thoreau observed that the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. A more contemporary writer puts it like this, we are vaguely wretched because we are leading half-lives half-heartedly. You and I have an amazing ability to settle for shallow living. There's a country song which says, if my life was a horse, they'd have to take it out and shoot it. So, not wanting that for any of you, I thought I would tell you five things that every pastor wants you to know to the depths of your soul, and you can grade yourself on whether you are truly living, whether you're truly living, or whether you're a horse and should be taken out, and well, you get the idea. So let me ask you a few questions to see whether you are fully alive or not. When was the last time you woke up really rested, exuberant, and excited about meeting the day? When was the last time you spontaneously kidnapped a friend and took them out for a treat just to bring the surprise of joy into their life? When was the last time you had an experience so incredible that there weren't enough words when you tried to describe it? When was the last time you did something a little bit kind of crazy, like wearing a goofy hat or hiding secret notes around the house for your spouse or your children, or bringing home flowers to celebrate Tuesday? When was the last time you laughed until tears poured from your eyes? During the past year, have you really wept deeply at anything? Has your heart beat faster at the sight of just simple beauty? Have you seriously thought about the fact that you are going to die someday? Instead of interrupting or even waiting for your turn to speak, do you really listen when people are speaking to you? If your answer to all or most of these questions is, I can't recall, or no, or maybe, then 
better have the person next to you right now pinch you just to make sure you're actually fully alive. No, don't do it. I, I saw someone start to make a move there. Oh. Like somebody with a bad cold, many have lost their sense of taste and smell. They know something is wrong with them, but not wrong enough to actually do anything about it. They are letting things run their course. They're just getting by. They're doing shallow living. They are drifting. And remember this. We never drift closer to God. We never, ever drift into a deeper relationship with God. I'm here today to tell you that we were made for more than this. Jesus promised us life in all of its fullness. He said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. See, Jesus was less concerned with the length of our lives than he was with the vitality, the, the, the actual life of our life, if you will. So he's telling us that he expects us not to merely exist and get by. He wants us to know some things. The first thing you need to know, he has given us, every one of us, choices. I've spoken on this before with you. I'm not going to belabor it. But we can either embrace life and seize the day, or we can miss the adventure altogether. But easily the single greatest power that he's given us as his children is choices. I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out. I want to live deep, suck out all the marrow of life. I want to grab life by the throat and not let it go. The Bible says that nothing affects your life more than the choices that you choose to make. In fact, our choices have profound effects on our lives. They show what we really think is important. Our values are expressed in the choices we make. Who or what we love is expressed in the choices we make. So here we go. Five things every pastor wants you to not only know, but do, okay? Number one, stop making excuses and assume responsibility for your life. This is the part where I'm glad I'm not back next week. Stop making excuses and assume responsibility for your life. This is not a popular concept because our society's default mode basically says none of your problems are your fault. Everything bad in your life is somebody else's fault. Blame the environment, blame the educator, blame your parents, blame your kids, blame anybody else, but it's not your fault. If you get in an accident, it's never your liability. If you spill some hot coffee on yourself, sue McDonald's. You know, that happened like 20 years ago. It happened again last week. It's always somebody else's fault. But you're never going to have a fulfilled life, and you're never going to make your life count if you have this attitude. Stop making excuses. Paul wrote, we are each responsible for our own conduct. You cannot control the circumstances that will happen to you in the next 365 days, <laughs> let alone even tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen to me. You haven't the foggiest idea either. But you can control your actions and your reactions. It's been my observation that there are three kinds of people when we talk about this. There are the accusers. They always blame everybody else for their problems. Their favorite phrase is, it's all your fault. It's never my fault. It's always you. Then there are the excusers. Excusers always have a rationale for why they did and where they are. There's always a reason. I've discovered that whenever I want to procrastinate on something, any excuse will do, right? Again, we're told in the Bible, a lazy man is full of excuses. Choosers, 
say, I choose to assume responsibility for my actions and my own well-being. I'm not dependent upon somebody else. I choose the direction of my life. I'm not depending upon the crowd. I'm, not, I'm choosing to accept responsibility for my life. And if you do that, you're ready to do number two, engage with God. I believe that we truly cannot live fully unless we make a space for God because the greatest privilege, honestly, the greatest privilege of our lives is engaging with our Creator. The Bible teaches that each of us have been created with a longing deep inside to seek after God. Some of you are well acquainted with this longing, but others perhaps are only beginning and becoming aware of this longing, and it's not satisfied yet. Well, I'm here to tell you, God will satisfy it. Begin to explore that spiritual dimension of your life. The problem is that we often get a very distorted picture of what it means to engage with God and have a full life. Images of wealth and warm beaches and well-paying jobs and no stress and good children, a life of luxury comes to mind. Maybe even more basically, a life of certainty. No surprises, no risks, no gain, no pain, no, no, no bad things are going to happen to me, no doubt. A life completely under control. But the truth is, of course, we don't have control over most things. In fact, the only thing we do have control over is how we choose to live the moment, this moment, that God gives us. The person who lives fully is a person who makes choices based on the rightness of it as an expression of the character and the heart of God, regardless of personal consequence or outcome. I've always been curious as to why Christianity has become a stay unless God calls you to move. In fact, you can't even describe it as a movement then, can you? It's a stagnant if you wait all the time. Jesus never said, receive me, did he? He said, follow me. When we have theolo the theology of receiving Jesus, we get to stay where we are and we expect God to come to us. That's a nice thought, isn't it? It's like home delivery or, you know, fast food at your door. But when Jesus walked on this earth, he would look at men and women and he'd say, follow me. Follow me. Come follow me. And I will teach you to become what? Fishers of men. I'm not stopping, he says. God is on the move. And if we're going to become followers of Jesus, we have to get up from where we are. We have to leave everything and follow him. Christianity is a movement a movement that follows where God is leading. The Bible further tells us that there is really only two certainties that do matter as we follow God, and that if we believe them as we live life fully, we will actually experience that kind of life. Neither of them pertain to our comfort here on earth. Please note this. The first certainty is that you have one of two standings before God. There are no third options here. You either are a tre treasured child of the Most High God, or you're not. You have either turned your life over to Jesus by accepting his sacrifice in your place, or you have not. You have either yielded control of your life to God's plan, to Jesus' lordship in your life, or you have not. The second certainty is that you have one of two futures. There isn't a third option. We are all created to last for eternity. We get to choose where we will spend that eternity. We already know how that story ends. The end of history has already been written. The kingdom of God wins. Hallelujah. Christ conquers. Yes. The church prevails. Amen. You see, the ultimate tragedy in life isn't when a person dies. 
The tragedy is when a person dies and has never fully lived. The ultimate tragedy is a life wasted, a life never engaged fully with God, who alone can connect each of us with the purpose we were created for in the first place. Thirdly, invest in now. We must pay attention to the here and now. That's much more difficult than it seems, and I'm guessing if I would talk to each one of you, you would see how, how hard that is. See, most of us are plagued with thoughts only of the past or of the future. When we focus on the past, we're usually wrestling with things like uneasiness and regret and guilt and even anger. These emotions kind of prevent us from being in the moment. Others live mostly in the future. It's always a list, there's always a plan. The future is filled with what if and if onlys. We're always looking ahead to the next experience, to our destination, instead of paying attention to the right now. Jesus said in Matthew 6, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Back to Tony Campolo's question as he pointed his finger at this young pastor beside me and asked again, how long have you truly, really lived? The response was this. When you put it that way, maybe a minute or two. See, that made us all kind of stop in our tracks and evaluate and question our investment, our, our zealousness, and our willingness to engage with God in each day, in each single solitary moment. How many moments have passed you by? Friends, what would you answer if I asked you that question now? How long have you truly, really lived? Don't miss the adventure. Don't settle for a half-life. And don't spend your days indefinitely preparing to live someday. There's a dangerous word. That's a dangerous word in our context today. Someday. Someday I'll be the parent I've always intended to be. Someday I'll quit complaining and learn to be grateful. Someday I'll get in shape. Ooh, that one hurts. Get in shape. Someday I'll slow down and start enjoying my children, or maybe it's my grandchildren. Someday I'll really get serious about prayer. Someday I'm going to learn the Bible and start to memorize it. Someday I'm actually going to volunteer. Someday I'm going to get organized. Someday I'll take more risks. Someday I'll be more generous. Don't live your life waiting for someday. Someday when I graduate, someday when I get a job, someday when I get married, someday, by the way, congratulations to Brock on our staff. He got married yesterday. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Brock and Rachel, watch for them. They'll be, they'll be back here in the weeks to come. Someday I'll get serious about these things. Someday I'm going to get a job. I'll get married. Someday when we have kids, I'll pay attention. Someday when the kids move away. Someday when I retire. Someday I'll stop waiting and I'll start living. We're really talking about the value of being fully alive right now, of occupying wholly this present moment as God's gift to you because this present moment is all each of us have, moment by moment. Yesterday is gone, nothing we can do about it, nothing in the world will bring it back again. You don't, you don't want to spend your time there. Tomorrow is not here yet, and actually if you really get down to semantics, tomorrow actually never comes. It's always tomorrow, right? We have this moment. Every moment 
the big, obviously dramatic ones, and the real small, apparently insignificant ones. Every moment is key. Everyone is precious. Everyone is God's gift to you, and you must learn to live into it with all that you are, because you, every one of you, is made for more. Avoiding the present moment has become habit in our society. We must learn to invest in the present. Imagine what it would be like if we could each live each moment as if it were our last. We are in far too great a hurry to get somewhere other than where we are. We spend our lives waiting for the important moments to take place while rushing through all the in-between moments. Yet the reality is that these ordinary moments in between comprise a considerable portion of our lives. Now, in my role here, I've had uh, the privilege, actually, of, of, of at least officiating at or making sure the funerals that come as a part of a family life here at church, that they, they happen. And I want to take you to a cemetery for a moment, and I want you to think about what you've seen there. Have you ever noticed that almost all gravestones have one thing in common? <clears throat> Excuse me. They have a lifespan on them. And they have like 1900-1999. Nine, nine years. Well done, buddy. 1900-1999. See, what we're talking about here is the dash. We're talking about the dash today. The dash represents your life between the beginning and the end. The dash. The dash represents whether you've been fully present in the moments that make up that dash, or whether, in fact, it is just a plain, ordinary little stroke across the granite. What is it that makes us fully alive? As we grow up, we forget the art of noticing the simple things. <clears throat> simple things like the smell of coffee or the feel of your favorite clothes, the simple taste of a morning meal or a touch, taking a walk just for the fun of it. We've turned much of our play into work. When it comes to our so-called leisure, we have expensive equipment and challenging goals. Most sad of all, perhaps, is what we miss. Our Creator has scattered countless surprises throughout our day. If only we could see, if only we could stop for a moment and pay attention to everyday miracles. In her book, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, Annie Dillard describes her sense of wonder when she was a little girl because it so vividly captures what it means to seize the moment. I'm going to read you a portion here after I take a little sip here. <clears throat> she writes this. When I was seven years old, growing up in Pittsburgh, I used to take a precious penny. Now, it's telling you it's going back a while. I used to take a precious penny of my own and hide it for someone else to find. I always hid the penny along the same stretch of sidewalk up the street. I would cradle it at the roots of the sycamore or in a hole left by a chipped off piece of sidewalk. Then I would take a piece of chalk and I would, starting at one end of the block, start drawing huge arrows on the paper <clears throat> on the sidewalk, leading up to the penny from every direction. After I learned to write, I labeled the arrows, surprise, up ahead, or money, this way. And I was greatly excited during all this drawing at the thought of the first lucky passerby who would receive this message, regardless of the merit, and a free gift from the universe when they found the penny. There are lots of things to see, she writes. Unwrapped gifts and free surprises. The world is fairly studded and strewn with pennies cast aside from a generous hand. 
But this is the point. Who gets excited by a mere penny anymore? It is dire poverty now when a man is so malnourished and fatigued that he will stoop to bother to pick up a penny. If you cultivate a healthy poverty and simplicity so that finding a penny will literally make your day, then since the world is in fact planted with pennies, you have, you have with your poverty bought a lifetime full of days. It is that simple. What you see is what you get. It's all a matter of keeping your eyes open. See, moments of beauty are everywhere. Everywhere. They were beside you, around you, in front of you when you came today. Did you notice one? Did you notice one? We need to bring ourselves into the presence of the moment to celebrate the privilege of being alive, to being able to walk and talk and breathe in God's creation. And then, fourthly, zealously love. Be passionate. Seize the opportunity to pay passionate attention to others. It's even easy to miss the very people that you live with or the friends closest to you. It's easy to get so used to them being around that you take them for granted. We end up treating members of our own household like strangers, even though we sit down at the same table, or we used to. We see one another, but we really don't look at one another. Typically, and listen to this, couples, typically the average Canadian couple now spends about 11 and a half minutes a day in any kind, any kind of conversation. 11 and a half minutes a day, which includes such uplifting exchanges as, did you take the garbage out? <laughs> or please pass the salt. Meaningful talk comes in now at three minutes a day. Three minutes a day versus more than six hours the typical Canadian now spends in front of a screen. When you reflect on 10 people who are close to you, stop to think back over the past month how much time have you spent developing and enjoying those relationships with those 10 people? Jesus, God's son, certainly considered the relationships he had with his disciples worth his time. They ate together, they wept together, and I'm sure they must have laughed together as well. Jesus did life together with those men. And if you're longing for life together, then I would encourage you, get involved in our small groups. And you can do that as easily as going to the information desk after this service. Paul kind of put it down for us all in Ephesians 5. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. I heard a story recently in which a married couple was sitting in their garden after they had just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. The husband was asking his wife several questions, including, what are some of the dreams you have set aside these past years? You know, it, because of our, our, you know, that we were married now. What are some of the dreams that never got realized? And his wife began to cry. And her husband wondered why. He was asking her, like, what, what, what's, what's wrong? She said, I thought you'd never ask. I thought you'd never ask. In our frantic pace of life, filled with one activity after another, we need to slow down and pay quality attention to those we claim we care about the most. Here are a few practical suggestions. Just I wrote them down just as quickly as I could write on the piece of, or type on the board. 
I make for you to love boldly in this and with great intensity. First, find little opportunities to express appreciation for one another by a note, through a quick word of thanks, with a hug, or even just a look. Celebrate birthdays, celebrate anniversaries, and any other event with creativity and enthusiasm. We, okay, Jenny mostly, used to try to shape our boys' birthday cakes into things that they were interested in, like trains or trucks or whatever as they were growing up. Don't buy a cake because it's a bargain with the icing inscription that says, Happy Bar Mitzvah Stanley. That doesn't cut the mustard. A while back, a couple of men I knew uh, would sacrifice a day of work. They would actually sacrifice a day of work, and they would come and pick me up at the church, and they would, from that moment on, there would be like a frenzied, fanatical, dawn-till-dusk fishing tournament. One year, it was right in the period when we were waiting for Jennifer to have an operation. They suggested, as I'm, we're already in the boat at this point, they suggested that every time someone caught a fish, that person would get on their knees in the boat and pray for her. Unfortunately, they ended up praying a lot more than me. <laughs> but I can't tell you what an impact that had and still has on my life when I think about it. Next time you're together honoring someone, ask each person to say something that they appreciate about him or her, and they will leave feeling deeply loved. Every person should know that others care for and value them. Ask important questions that move beyond superficial conversation, such as, how is your relationship with God lately? Why are, where are you struggling the most right now? Can I pray for something specific for you? Perform acts of kindness and thoughtfulness regularly. The Bible tells us to serve one another and to outdo one another in compassionate acts. I call it get into a giving contest with someone. Love is expressed in action. It's making a meal for someone. Why do we respond when we hear of someone having struggle? We want to do something. It's because love is in action. It's making a meal, sacrificing some sleep to meet with someone in need, and always asking yourself how you might build up and nurture them. Genuinely loving and caring people are fully alive, and they pay attention to the people around them. Let me give you a warning here. We don't say this enough. Love deeply. Please, love deeply. But you will also then deeply feel pain. Much of our deep suffering comes from our relationships with those we love. Because when you think about it, in any relationship, sooner or later, until the Lord comes, there will be a separation, if not other things that happen. There will be pain. Don't be surprised by the pain. In fact, actually, in a weird sort of way, celebrate the pain, because the pain actually means I loved, I cared, I missed that person. When you think about it, the other result is unthinkable. I don't care. Didn't touch me at all. Ugh, I'm a rock. Love and pain are mixed together. And no one knows that more than Jesus. Some of you may have a hard time hearing this right now because you're in a period of time in your life when there is great pain. Those who embrace life fully are not exempt 
from pain. There is no immunity from difficulty when you live life to the fullest. In fact, they don't avoid the wounds in life. They intensely grieve the hurts, and they learn and grow as a result, and, get, and the gain, I can tell you this, the gain far outweighs the pain. Love always is worth it. And finally, E, exude generosity and servanthood. Paul wrote, we must help the weak. Paul's focus was always on those who had needs and those who were suffering. When you find yourself seeing someone in need, someone who is hurting, someone who is suffering, you step in because you recognize that person matters to God, that you have yet to lay eyes on someone for whom Jesus didn't die. You have yet to lay eyes on someone. You never will lay eyes on someone for whom Jesus did not die. You recognize that situation that you're seeing matters to God. That person matters to God. That city matters to God. That marketplace matters to God. That culture matters to God. Paul continues on and in his kind of farewell address. If you got time, go to Ephesians 5 and just read his farewell. He's been at Ephesus and he's gone on his missionary journey and he's come back close to Ephesus. Close. In those days, 80 miles is a fair distance, but he asked all the elders from Ephesus, come over, to, come over these 80 miles. I want to say a farewell to you because I'm probably never coming back. And then kind of this farewell sentence, he brings it back to something that Jesus said, which is recorded nowhere else. This is not recorded in the Gospels. It's recorded nowhere else. Paul's the only one who records that Jesus said this. He simply says, remembering the words that the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's the way to end a farewell address. And so I will too. I want to tell you what Jesus has taught me. It is more blessed. It is always more blessed. It has always been more blessed. And it will always be more blessed to give than to receive. But the truth is, our whole culture tells us we're more blessed when we receive. Or if we do give, it's so we can call, you know, gain, gain some, some, you know, uh, motivation back. Like, okay, so, you know, now you owe me. A favor now. I gave you a favor, now you owe me. Still self-interest, right? We do this in our relationships. It is more blessed if you live with a culture of if then. If you do this, it's, that's the idea of the culture. If you do this, then I'll do this. That's backwards. That's not the gospel. That's not the dream of God and the dream that God had for his church. That's not God's hope for the world. God's picture of how we are to orient our lives is to pe be people who look like Jesus. People who live to give. People who give themselves away in his service. People who believe at the core of it, their existence that it is more blessed to give than to receive. I'll give you an example. I heard this story about a little kid walking by a restaurant and he sees a beautiful red sports car, loves that sports car, walks up to the car, gets so close he can practically smell it. He's never seen a beautiful car like this. He just looks at it and wow. The guy who owns the car sees this kid and wants to make sure he's not going to touch it or do something bad to it. So he walks out and, he's, and the kid looks at him and says, hey mister, is this your car? Guy goes, it is. Kid asks, oh, how much did it cost? The guy says, I don't know. My brother got it for me as a gift. The kid looks at the car. 
And he looks back at the man, and he says this, I hope someday I... What do you think he said? I hope someday I can be that kind of brother, is what he said. And he walks away. See, you would expect, and you probably went there, you would expect that kid to say, I wish I had a brother like that who would give me something like this brand new red flashy car. Instead, he says, I hope someday I can be that kind of brother. That's what I would say. But this kid hopes that someday he can be that kind of brother. That's the church. That's the gospel in a nutshell. This is the good news. A group of people who believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give yourself away. In my life, I want to be someone who's obedient, who begs for more grace so that I might extend it and allow it to be scattered everywhere I go. Grace, you see, is like a flowing river where God desires where God's desires are sort of exposed that, and it's freely given and freely extended that everybody would come to him. Obedient people aren't people who allow grace to be hoarded. I got grace, I'm gonna keep it for myself. Obedient, committed followers of Jesus are people who extend grace. I've been given so much, it's overflowing, I can't help it, it's gotta go. We give grace. We dole out grace extravagantly. There are people in their lives who have neglected them, forgotten them, abandoned them. And what do they do get in return? When those people say to us, or we come upon people who've been forgotten, we give them grace. We don't say, hey, yeah, you, you left me. We give them grace. We just overflow with grace. How would you respond if, if you've done something wrong and you kind of know that the person's looking at you funny and they come and say, I just got nothing but grace because you know what? Grace has been extended to me. Truth of it is, it's all a gift. You are here today, grace. The breath you just inhaled, grace. The step you're able to take, grace. The words that came out of your mouth, grace. The truth that you have been redeemed, grace. It's all grace. I have to ask you, is there someone in your life to whom you have a hard time extending grace? Anyone. Is there someone in your life today that you have not been able to set free? The crazy thing about grace is that oftentimes when you set free the people that you can't stand, you know who you really set free? Yourself. Because unforgiveness and holding a grudge and straight out disobedience to God can bind you up in chains. But when you start to extend grace freely, you step into the unknown. You step into a place of deep dependency on God. You step into a place of trusting him. And friends, something, new, something really absolutely supernatural begins to stir. The Holy Spirit starts to work in you. If you want to be known for something, be known for your love, for your generosity, for your grace. I want to be someone moved with sympathy and compassion as Jesus and Paul were. Someone who steps in believing it's better to give yourself away than spend a life thinking you just need to receive and receive and receive and receive and receive. Friends, truth is giving yourself away delivers you from, it, from you. That's what it does. It delivers you from you. Every time you have the sense that God's asking you to pray for healing or for a marriage that's breaking apart and you know the people and you want to go sit with them and you don't have all the answers but you, you can at least give the ministry of presence with them, that delivers you from you when you do it. From you believing that this whole life is all about you to believing that God has called you to a leading role in his great grand story. 
Secondly, giving yourself away links two stories together. I wonder if you've ever thought about this. Every time you get that prompting, every time you hear of someone who's gotten a bad medical report and you've, you're filled with compassion and you choose to step out and give yourself away, you link yourself with them. Your stories become linked together. You're part of their story and they're part of yours. And you begin to pray, to listen, to speak, to share your lives. Lastly, and maybe most importantly, giving yourself away mirrors God's heart. If you want the heart of the Father, give yourself away. If you want to model about what God is all about, give yourself away. If you want to discover more what matters to God and how God loves his church to live, give yourself away. If you want, to, if you want I can give you a three-word phrase that encapsulizes all this. These three words sort of changed my outlook on everything. And these three words can change your work and transform your life. I think they are the ultimate challenge for human beings, these three words. The three words are, and then some. And then some. Do what is expected, what is minimally required, and then some. Become an and then some kind of person. Do whatever your hand finds for you to do with all your strength, and then some. When Jesus said, give and it will be given to you, he's not giving instructions here, but simply talking about the way that life is. This is the way that things work, he says. Give, and it will be given to you. This is God's economy. This is God's principle. Give, and it will be given to you. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, you will receive more than you expect when you give more than is required. When you just try to get by, you will just get by. When you give and then some, you will receive and then some. This won't necessarily be in terms of material resources, but in terms of life and joy and character, the things that fill your life. You will live and then some. I ran into a study not too long ago about the secret for long life. According to this study, the primary predictor of the longevity of our lives is the extent, extent to which we enjoy all that we do. Now that you know this, how many of you feel as if you might die any moment? The question is, what can we do tomorrow to be an and then some kind of person? What can you do? What is one action step you can take this week? You know, the word volunteer comes from a Latin word, voluntas, which means to choose. Isn't that interesting? The root word of volunteer means you have a choice. You've chosen to give yourself away. Maybe it's an act of service. Maybe it's cleaning something. Maybe it's going over to your neighbor's house, raking their yard and not saying anything about it. Maybe it's an attitude kind of deal within you. I don't know what form it takes for you, but I do know the result. They will say that you are an and then some kind of person. Are you building a friendship and then some? Are you building a marriage and then some? Are you building a family and then some? Or are you just getting by? Maybe you have never expressed your heart to God. Maybe you can make this weekend and then some kind of worship week. You just won't think about God occasionally. You're going to worship him and then some. The reason that this is so important and flows so deeply into human beings is because we are made in the image of God. And God is an and then some kind of God. The Bible says that God created heaven and earth and he could have stopped there with just the earth and the sun. God didn't stop. He made the solar systems, the Milky Way, galaxy upon galaxy, black holes. He made heaven and earth and then some. He could have made everything on earth flat and plain, but he didn't. 
And that's why we have more than just Saskatchewan. But he didn't. He made mountains and oceans. He made Kelowna, I'm sorry. And behold, it was good. He made birds in the air, fish swim in the streams, and things creep on the ground. Did you ever ask yourself why there are 400,000 species of beetles? Why in the world do we need 400,000 species of beetles? Why would God go to all that trouble? Wouldn't 10, 20, or even 50,000 be enough? I only know four. John, Paul, George, Ringo. Why? Why do we have to have so many? See, God made one beetle and then some. Because he is just that kind of God. God made a human being in his own image and could have stopped with one human being, Adam. Yet God made another one, Eve. And Adam looked at Eve and said, that's a human being and then some. <laughs> he was so glad that God is an then some kind of God. And I hope you are too. God loves you and then some. Jesus came to earth and then some. Jesus died for you and then some. Jesus rose from the grave and then some. He sits today at the right hand of God, the Father, who is an and then some kind of God. And Jesus says, I have come so that you might have life and have it in abundance. In other words, I have come so that you might have life and then some. What kind of God do we serve? Do you believe in a God of abundance or a God of scarcity? Do you believe in a good God? Well, I'm here to tell you, whatever you think, however imagine and how big you've imagined God being a good God, God is gooder. I'm telling you, he's gooder than whatever you can think of him being good. God is gooder. You have to decide now what kind of person you want to be. It's your choice. What kind of church do you want Southland to be? Your choice. Which path are you going to go down, the road less traveled or the path of least resistance? Your choice. Whatever your hand finds for you to do, do it with all your strength. Love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Do it, and then some. Do it, and then some. Now, if you'll allow me just a personal moment here, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for all the things that I've just talked to you about because you've exhibited them to me. Thank you for the grace you've given me. Thank you for the love you've showed me and my family. Thank you for the support you've given me. Thank you for the patience that you've had to bear with me. Thank you. I came here out of the blue and pretty quickly was standing in front of you. And I wondered at that time, who am I and why? And will they even listen? And you've listened. And I've been so appreciative of that. You welcomed us in almost from the get-go, and you've become our friends, you've become our family, and we're going to miss you when we go. Can I ask you to put your hands out? I'd love to give you a blessing here. Just put your hands out in front of you. Close your eyes. And I'd love to just pray a blessing over you. My brothers and sisters of Southland, my friends, my family, may you be fully devoted to God. May you find yourselves gathered around and by the word of grace. And may you long for more and more and more of it.
May you be singularly focused on what God has put before you. May you be ever more obedient to the Spirit's leading, giving more and more and more grace. May you live such compelling lives that others are drawn to salvation. May you be overwhelmed this week, this year, with compassion for a need you see before you. And may you have the courage, may you have the boldness, may you have the faith to be brave, to raise your expectations, share your faith, to pray, to just do it, and to give yourself away and see what God will do because God always, 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 always has the last word. May you experience that this year. Grace and peace be with you always. Amen. Now, before Stefan says something here, I just want to tell you one story quickly uh, because um, you're going to go outside after this and you're going to wonder why are we seeing this in front of us. I tell you a quick story. Years ago, first church, not long a pastor there, uh, I came into the office after visiting some people, came in, and the staff, there's only three or four of us at the time, said, oh, hey, there's uh, somebody brought some cherry danishes by, and they're in the, in the staff room. And I went in, there's two left. I thought, well, I don't know if I've ever had a cherry danish before. I'm going to try one. I try one, I'm thinking, there is a God. Talk about creation. This is it. And I'm thinking, oh boy. And you know, my hands started to go for the second one. I thought, ah, oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Just leave it. And maybe if it's here at the end of the day, oh, that's what I'll do. I'll just leave it and I'll come back at the end of the day. And if it's still here, then it's mine. So at the end of the day, I come back. And sure enough, the cherry danish is right there where I left it in the back of the drawer in the back of the filing cabinet. Not one of my prouder moments. Thank you for celebrating that. <laughs> I mentioned this in the church. The next week, a stack of cherry Danish boxes come in like this. And I'm thinking, okay, this is great. I'm just going to eat them all. And uh, before I could do that, there's a message on my phone. And it said, this is so you will have cherry Danish and then some. Share it with everybody. I'm glad I did because they could all smell it anyway, but, but uh, I just kept the good ones for myself. No, I didn't. <laughs> that's why you might find something like Cherry Danish or a reasonable facsimile when you go, because that's stuck, literally inside and outside. <laughs> oh, my. We have uh, something to give you. Could you maybe open it right away? Sure. We want to celebrate you. And the, the, the card, you can, you can open that one later. Okay. But there is something that I think everyone will want to see because it's collective. Although I may have had a hand in choosing kind of the overall what everyone would want. <clears throat> oh, yes. Yeah. That's what they want to see. You know that? That comment in the beginning, I was sitting there thinking, oh, I'll have the last laugh. (laughs) 
You can wear it for the 11. I know we don't normally do that, but you can. I don't mind. Yeah, I thought... I don't think anyone will. Thanks, bud. <laughs> Very gracious of you. <laughs> and... You guys might use it oh, as uh, this. rags. Don't do that. Wow, nice. Oh, it's got... This is yours. Yes, it is. It's got our names even engraved on there. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. Just... I, um, thank you. Before... We're going to give you a round of applause and pray for you, but before that... Uh, being a pastor is a, is a joyous work. And you know, I loved your, your message. Actually, I could have just used your message for turning it into a blessing back towards you because you've exemplified all five of those traits in your actions towards us. Mm. And uh, I know this is a very, he, he doesn't like this kind of stuff. He would rather we just skip by because his life and Jennifer, they just want to pour themselves out for you guys. And to see you guys grow and to see you guys be fed, that's enough reward for them already. Amen. Uh, but we want to honor them. Uh, what you don't know, well, I mean, many of you will know this. Some of you are new here, and you don't necessarily know our most recent history, but we went through a split during COVID uh, that was extremely painful. But uh, Lauren and Jennifer had just come here. You guys had just said yes. I remember those meetings when we were doing interviews, and you guys said yes, and I thought, this is wonderful. Tim Ryan had gone away, and you guys came in, and we had no idea what you were coming into, and things just, you know, COVID hit, and then there was trouble and we went through a split and Lauren actually got up and spoke. Some of you will remember this, but that day the board got up and gave an announcement and Lauren got up and spoke right after. The, that isn't an easy thing to do. And he felt like he was just getting to know you guys, but his commitment to Jesus and his commitment to loving us, all of us, and shepherding us through a very difficult time um, will never be forgotten. Both of you. You both shouldered that for us. When we were hurting, you guys were there for us. You shepherded us, you cared for us, you loved us. And we are grateful. Thank you. Amen? Let's give them a round of applause. Um. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. I'm gonna ask the staff and the board that are here to come up to the front. We're gonna gather around them and pray for them. Thanks, everybody. You guys can stay standing, too, because we're gonna pray in unison, just like we normally do in the beginning. This time we save the best for last. You guys ready to pray for them? It's been an honor to serve with you. Likewise. Looking forward to seeing what God continues to do through you. Let's pray in three, two, one.
they stepped in and were a huge part. I can't even, I can't even remember, Lord, how many people told me that they felt like that morning just walked them through the most difficult time of their lives. We were all mourning. And, and just as he does, has done for people in funerals, families, he did it for our church family. They did it for our church family. They walked us through the most painful time. And Lord, I just pray that all of the, the every, every moment, every tear, every prayer, every bit of serving that they have done here, Lord, I pray that it would be pressed down and multiplied and poured over their lives. That they would just, that you would overflow a blessing on their lives. Lord, I pray for a fresh feeling. I pray, Lord, as they go to Kelowna, I pray that you would rejuvenate them. I pray, Lord, for health. I pray also, Lord, for peace, just a deep-seated peace. Lord, I also pray that they would be able to take joy, take much joy in being present. They were both present with you. Lord, that they would take joy in the labors that they've had with you for this church. thank you for Pastor Lauren and Jennifer. Thank you, Lord, for their faithful service to you. It started well before they came here. But Lord, we are just grateful to you today. We bless your name for the time that we got to share with them, for bringing them here as a gift to us, for their shepherding hearts, for, for what they've taught us about serving you and serving others. Lord, we bless your name for the work that they've done here. It was you working through them in us, and we are forever grateful. Lord, would you bless them and keep them, and may you shine your face upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.